Well, it is fantastic to be here, there with you uh, this morning, especially I want to say a big welcome to the good people of Ellen and also Inveruri who are at their in-person services this morning and I'm there too uh, and it's fantastic to be with you. I'm going to be with you in person next week uh, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, well, we're in a brand new series. It's called Christ, His Church, and His Cause. Uh, and it's kind of journeying through the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to be looking at the first five verses in the book of Acts. And so if you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to produce it, either in the original book version or a more digital version. Um, and uh, just like, I don't know whether you've ever thought about it, but what actually is it that we're reading? Obviously, this is an ancient writing. You know, this is like 2,000 years old. What actually is the book of Acts is a really good question. It was very common in ancient writings to divide a particular writing up, not only into verses and chapters, but also into books, into, into volumes. And the book of Acts that we have is actually volume two of a book that started with Luke's gospel. So this is kind of like second Luke or Luke number two or something like that. And in the same way as you might read the Lord of the Rings and you could take a particular volume of Lord of the Rings and just read it for what it is and enjoy it and value it for what it is, or you can understand the ongoing story. I think it's helpful to think about the book of Acts a bit like that, that you can take it as it is, but also you can just enjoy uh, and appreciate the ongoing story of it. It's written by a medical doctor, Dr. Luke, who uh, he tells us in the beginning of Luke's gospel, he's gone out of his way to record a, as an a, a accurate, um, orderly account as he possibly can. And so we know that this is the great work of his life. He's taken decades to do it. He's interviewed all the people involved. He's compared and contrasted eyewitness accounts, and he's formed together uh, uh, something that it, he believes and we believe is an incredibly accurate account of exactly what happened. It's written for someone called Theophilus. Uh, we know that because it says it at the beginning of Luke's gospel and then also at the beginning of the book of Acts. And we don't really know who Theophilus is. The, the, the word Theophilus means beloved by God or, or um friend of God. So Theo, Theos is, is God, Philo is love. And so uh, it could be that Theophilus is a, is a person, um, perhaps a, a, a wealthy patron who was able to fund Luke's work, uh, support Luke whilst he was writing this book. Or it could be that Theophilus is a kind of a catch-all term for all of us, you know, friends of God. He, he's writing, he's, and we're going to read it in a moment, but, but he says, my dear Theophilus. And it could be that he's just saying, my dear friend of God, this is written for you. I love to think of it like that, that this is written for me and it's written for you. And the other thing to notice is that Luke really loves his origin stories. 
And so Luke's gospel is the kind of origin story of Jesus. It's all of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Luke records the Christmas story in a way that none of the other gospel writers do. He's interested in the birth of Jesus and then how that plays out, his life and ministry. Uh, and then, in a sense, this is another origin story. This is the birth of the church and then how that plays out over the decades too. And so uh, we're going to read just the first five verses. Well, I'm going to read it and you're going to listen. He says this, In my former book, Theophilus, beloved of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's our scripture for today. I can picture exactly where I was in March 2020 when we were sat as the pastors of the church together in a room uh, at our building in central Aberdeen and we were discussing the possibility of suspending our Sunday service for that week because of COVID. And, and at the time, it was just so bewildering. And we, we just could never have imagined making that decision. And it was incredibly stressful. And at the time, it felt like we were the only people on the face of the earth making that decision. And then, if you, of course, you realize that every pastor on the face of the earth was making the same decision, which wasn't really a decision, <laughs> because we all had to do it. Um, but, but we would never have imagined that 83 weeks later, we were only just now able to reopen our services again. It's just an astonishing thing. I don't know whether you've caught yourself over the last weeks and months just thinking, what, what in the world is happening here? I mean, it's just extraordinary. Like, j just uh, if, if, you, if you live miles and miles away, this maybe doesn't mean anything to you, but John Lewis... John Lewis is now a mass vaccination center for a virus that we weren't even aware of a couple of years ago. The, the place where we used to drive and park our car wherever we went to the airport to get on a flight is now the place where you go to get tested. It's a mass testing center for this virus that we weren't even aware of. And our kids had to study at home for like the best part of a year, like the, the, the scale, the scope of the story that we are living in is just absolutely huge. It doesn't it feel like in some ways that we've kind of woken up in this apocalyptic film and, and, and you know, it's just, it's completely crazy. Well, listen, the truth that I think that Jesus wants to give to us or the medicine that Dr. Luke wants to prescribe for us today is this. There is a bigger story than COVID. There is a bigger story than COVID. And 
I think we're just going to take that in three parts. The first part is this. Jesus is alive. He is alive. And that is what Luke is presenting to us. The kind of the, the pronouncement, the definitive pronouncement that comes right at the start of this book, which really explains everything that's going to happen after it is Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is alive. And uh, it's, it's, uh, for many of us who are, who are now familiar with that reality, then that, that has really ceased to be a thing. But let's just imagine that we'd never heard that before. Jesus, um, a remarkable teacher, uh, a kind of a religious leader, a political rebel, perhaps someone who clearly had some kind of authority, a, a, um, a miracle worker, is crucified. And crucifixion was the most hideous kind of public execution uh, that, that was a kind of a barbaric torture unto death. And it was designed in that particular way so that everyone around knew this person is definitively dead, right? And then, uh, uh, and they checked, he was definitively dead. They wrapped his body. They put it into a tomb that was cut out of solid rock in the side of a hillside. You know, there's no back door. There's no like, oh, I didn't notice, but I could just sneak out this way. There's none of that. And then there's, there's only one way out, which is the, the way you came in. And then they took a stone that was maybe two or three tons, about the size of a, a massive estate car. And they rolled that in front of the tomb. It was sealed up, impossible to get out. And then they put a, a, a section of professional Roman soldiers to guard the entrance to make sure that no one came in or out of that tomb. He was definitively dead, like dead, dead. And then here Luke is presenting him just carrying on with his ministry as if absolutely none of that had happened. It's crazy. It's wonderful. It's absolutely amazing. And um, uh, it's, it's such a huge reality that even now, 2,000 years later, we're, we're, we're defining time according to these events. You know, it's like all time is divided up into before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a huge story. I don't know whether you saw it, but in the news... I think it was three weeks ago today, there was a, a, a volcanic eruption, a volcano uh, on the Canary Islands erupted. I've got the name of it here. It's called the Cumbra Vieja. I don't know whether that's how you say it, volcano. And the pictures are really astonishing. You know, it, at nighttime, these massive plumes of red molten volcanic rock just like being thrown up into the sky. But And then during the daytime, these pictures of this um, steaming, black, semi-molten rock, this like blanket of black destruction just pouring down the mountain and just covering over everything. I think 6,000 people were evacuated from their homes. 600 homes were destroyed, um, you know, and, and this, this black sweeping blanket was just covering over swimming pools, sun terraces, restaurants, uh, gardens, homes, everything, just everything covered. And once it's covered, I guess it's just covered in then rock. It's like covered for the rest of time. 
And yet there was this one house. It was called, or the locals were calling it the Miracle House because weirdly, for reasons that nobody really understands, as this sweeping black blanket of death came down the mountain, there was one house that was completely untouched. I think we're going to have a picture of that now, Adam. There you go. I'm hoping that you're seeing what I'm, I've seen before. Um, it was called the Miracle House, and nothing touched it. It was like just this one shining beacon of life and hope and color amongst all of this destruction. And my point is this. Jesus is our Miracle House. He's the one person in human history out of the millions of people who'd lived up to this point who hasn't been covered forever by the blanket of death. This total destruction that has destroyed every other person who's ever lived for the whole of human history. And then suddenly here is a man who has come through death and out the other side unscathed. And because of that, anyone who puts their trust in this man, God, Jesus, is also able to be unscathed by death. That's a bigger story than COVID. Jesus Christ is alive. The second part of our medicine this morning is this. Not only is he still alive, but he's still at work. I think it's my favorite word, single word, in the whole Bible. I don't know whether you've got a favorite single word. If you're the kind of person who likes to underline or highlight things in your Bible, which is not sacrilege, that's a really sensible thing to do, um, then I would thoroughly recommend that you underline this word. It's the word began. Verse 1. Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. In other words, everything that he's done so far, all the, the events in Luke's gospel are just the very beginning of what he's going to continue to do for the rest of time. I mean... What he did in, during his earthly ministry was really amazing. I mean, the miracles, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the healing of lepers, the restoring sight to the blind, the casting demons out of children, the, the, uh, um, all, just astonishing, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, all of these things, amazing. Everything that he did was amazing. But also his teaching. You know, perhaps there are some people watching this morning or joining us in one of our services who um, you don't really know who Jesus is, but you are aware of his teaching because it's amazing. You know, the parables of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, his teaching on forgiveness and relationships and all of these kinds of things, just brilliant. And, and, and yet Luke is making a profoundly theological point. He's trying to help us to understand what's going on here. Jesus didn't just do some brilliant things and then teach some brilliant things and then kind of vacate his position and go off to go and be with his father and leave us to kind of muddle along without him. Theologically, that is not what's happening right now. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, everything that Jesus did and everything that he said during his earthly ministry was amazing. But in the words of a well-known song, B -b 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 baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. 
He's continuing to do and to teach. He, that's exactly what Luke's point is. And so to call this book the Acts of the Apostles, which history kind of does, is actually really mistaken. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus. And Luke is going to go on to tell us all the kinds of things that Jesus is continuing to do. So, for example, we're going to come along to Acts chapter 2, where uh, there's a particular day, 3,000 people are added to the church on that day. And then it says that continually, day after day, more people are being added to the church. Who is it who's doing the adding? Well, he tells us, uh, Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's Jesus who's at work. In Acts chapter 9, uh, the apostle Peter encounters this guy called Aeneas who has been bedridden for eight years and paralyzed. And Peter is able to minister healing to this guy but, but the question is, who is really doing the healing? Well, again, Luke tells us, because it says that Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Or in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium, and they're teaching in the synagogue. And as they're doing that, they're facing all kinds of uh, kind of pushback and, and oppression. And, um, and, and then it says... Uh, the Lord confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And then in Acts chapter 16, there's Lydia coming to faith. And how does she come to faith? How does she come to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, Luke tells us it was the Lord who opened up her heart to respond to the gospel. So Jesus is at work. He has not vac vacated his position. We are not left wondering like, oh, well, now that Jesus is no longer at work, I suppose we'll have to make the best of it. No, no, no. Jesus is alive and he is at work. I, I don't know about you, but I've definitely had my moments of um, just, I, I guess, kind of bleakness during this pandemic where, where things have just seemed kind of dark. Um, like generally speaking, I'm pathologically optimistic and I drive everyone crazy because I can't see the, you know, the downside in anything. But I've had moments where I've just thought, oh my, oh my goodness. And, you know, if you'd have said to me 18 months ago, you won't be able to reopen your sites for public worship for 18 months. I would have said to you, well, by that point, there won't be a church left to reopen. But wonderfully, it turns out that Jesus is still alive and he's still at work. And so therefore, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, and so amazingly, like thousands of people have visited our church online during this pandemic. Hundreds of people have done the Alpha course, which is kind of a, an opportunity to investigate the Christian faith. About 200 people have surrendered their lives to Jesus during this, this pandemic. Um, our church family has gathered in food from people dropping food at their gates and so on. And then it's given out more than 300,000 meals during this pandemic to people who really needed it. Uh, you know, and it's just been such an amazing thing as a pastor to see just the church family being the church family, caring for one another. Jesus is at work. You know, uh, I read an article that said about Primark. It said it said that, um, you know, during the pandemic, Primark was selling 
uh, what they call comfort wear in increasing proportion. So in other words, praise God for the elasticated waistband, right? We've all, we've all, how long did it take us to realize, do you know, this Zoom thing is really brilliant because uh, they can only see my top half. So I can wear tracky bottoms on the bottom half and no one will ever know. Uh, uh, but the funny thing is that, that now the pandemic is, is kind of like mitigated and we're able to start to move beyond it and, and experience a certain level of freedom, you would think that the comfort wear sales would go down. But no, no, no. Uh, Primark said the other day, they're just selling as much elasticated waistbands as they were before. Comfort wear is a thing now. But uh, the whole point, and it's a slightly tenuous point, is this, you know, if Jesus is alive, then comfort is not something that we're going to experience. You know, they, they should be handing out crash helmets on the way into church because Jesus Christ is alive and he's active and he's at work. That's the second thing. And then the last thing is this. You might ask, well, how? You know, how, how did he do the things that he did during his earthly ministry? And then how is he still at work now? And Luke has, again, a theological answer to that question. And his answer is that he did the things that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he continues to do the things that he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. His spirit is with us. If you think about it, in, in Luke's gospel, Luke is presenting to us, uh, the, like, how does all this work? The power be behind the throne, in a sense, the, the agent, uh, the personal agent of the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And so, uh, for example, the Holy Spirit it, uh, comes upon Mary when Jesus is in the womb. And it says that the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. And so, in a sense, Jesus is being marinated in the power and the presence of God, even in the womb. Uh, at his baptism, again, Luke says, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And then immediately following that, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert um, to do battle with the enemy in terms of temptation. How was he able to withstand all of that temptation? Luke's answer is, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, my favorite part is that then Jesus comes back out of the desert. And as he does so, Luke tells us he, he comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we could go throughout the rest of Luke's gospel, just seeing the same thing again and again and again. That Holy Spirit is the power behind the throne. And then what Luke tells us, even in this passage that we just read, is that again, uh, Jesus giving his last final instructions to his disciples that he's chosen. And it says, through the Holy Spirit. And it seems to me that that is Luke's major discovery, that, that Jesus continues to move and act by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the astonishing thing is that it's not only for Jesus. The same power that was present in the life and ministry of Jesus is now being promised to us. And you see that there in verse 4. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in, immersed in, drenched in the Holy Spirit. 
which is exactly what happened to those first disciples and exactly what continues to happen to generation after generation after generation of followers right up until this very day. The power of God is being promised to you. Um, I'll just finish with this. We, one of the highlights of the pandemic for us or the last 18 months was being able to be on a Zoom call with a guy who was planting a church in Hong Kong. And he and his family had just moved to Hong Kong. They uh, didn't know anybody, but they just started to meet with people, connect with people as they did. They started to share the hope of Jesus with the people that they met. Some people came to faith. Other people were just interested. And so they started to gather a group in their home and just share Jesus with them. And then there became too many people for one home. And so they started to meet, you know, they said, right, you guys go meet in that home and you guys go meet in that home. And before they knew it, they had this kind of network of house churches meeting all over the place, which is a really wonderful thing. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, it was going well. And then just a, f- uh, a few days before the call that we were on with this guy, he had discovered that his visa had been revoked and he was unable to stay in the country and to leave the country within a few days. And he said that he'd said to his leaders, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to leave. And they said, we can't cope without you. We've only been a Christian like 10 minutes and, and like, we need you here. And he said, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is with you. You have everything that you need. And uh, they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, we, we, really, we really need you. And he said, let me just talk you through what happens in the scriptures. And he taught them through, like the apostle Paul. He would go to a place. He would preach the gospel. A few people would come to faith. They would start to be formed into a church community. And then suddenly the persecution or oppression would come. They'd have to lower Paul in a basket out of a window in the middle of the night. He'd flee to the next place. He'd do it all again, uh, you know, and, and then he'd be chased out of town by some guys and they'd have to move on to the next place and so sometimes he'd only be in a place for a few days sometimes a few weeks sometimes a few months sometimes a few years but always moving all the time but it turns out whenever the apostle Paul moved on the Holy Spirit stayed and so therefore the church continued to be built up and strengthened and encouraged and then this particular church planter he turned his attention to us a group of pastors from the Western church. And he said, you guys in the West, you have no idea of the power of God that is resident within you. What if we began to experience and understand the sheer personal power of the Holy Spirit? that is resident within each one of us who follow Jesus. That is a bigger story than COVID. Jesus Christ is alive, he's at work, and his spirit is with us. Let's pray. Jesus, the truth is that at different times in this pandemic we have felt overwhelmed and it does feel like the scale of this story that we're living through is just huge like everyone on the face of the earth 
is experiencing this pandemic. And so we need to know in the core of who we are that you're alive, that you're at work, and that your spirit is with us. Please would you burn that truth, sear that truth into our hearts right now. For many of us, we felt lonely or isolated. We've experienced grief and loss. For many of us, we've had times of real darkness where all has seemed lost. Jesus, I pray that right now, wherever we are, you would fill us with your peace and your comfort. And dare I say it, your joy. And all God's people said, Amen.